Good morning, Woodland Hills. All you who are in the congregation here and all you who are online, it's good to be sharing this moment with you. So thankful for Mary, who, when I'm away from home, she's the one who's in charge of all my dressing, and, and so she points out when things are out of balance. And so is that, is that tagged down now? Good. All right. Zipper is okay. Okay, so we're, we're all got to go. All right. Um, I'm going to title this message. We're in this series on judgment. Talk about the nature of God's judgment, because if we're going to live in love, we have to be trusting God to do all the judging. And um, what I want us to see this morning is that uh, there's an organic connection between human beings and the earth and the animal kingdom. Um, And so I'm entitling this message, As Humans Go, uh, So Goes the Earth. Our well-being and the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom are wrapped up with each other. And we'll see the significance of that, hopefully, as, as, as this message goes on. So I'll start with this. I mentioned last week that, that uh, really the, the whole mission of our life can be summed up in this loving in four different directions. There's four ways that we're supposed to be loving. And I wrongly attributed this to John Wesley last week, uh, when, in fact, the creator of this was Kevin, our own Kevin Callaghan. Uh, yeah, here he is. Look at that guy. Give him a hand. He, he, he's one of our unsung heroes. This guy, he's got so much brain power. and comes up with so many good things and, and gets so little credit. So I want to make sure he, we get the credit where credit's due. So sorry, John Wesley, you don't get credit for this. This is a Kevin Callaghan thing. So there's four loves. On the one hand, we're supposed to love God. Out of the fullness of God, uh, of the love that God gives to us, we now reflect love back to God. And then we're to love ourselves as, creators, as creations of God. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then we saw last week that we're to love the earth and the animal kingdom. And this is all very much rooted in Scripture. Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest command? He said, it's to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But then he said, the second is just like it. And what he means by that is that you can't plan and hope to do the one without doing this, uh, the second one. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we saw last week that... We're also called to love and care for the earth and the animal kingdom. In fact, that, that is our first mandate. The first thing God says to us, the first word, it's insofar as it's recorded in Scripture, is have dominion over the earth and the animal kingdom. And we saw last week that it doesn't mean to dominate. It means to have dominion the way God has dominion over us. It means to take responsibility for, to love and care for the earth and the animal kingdom. We saw last week that that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. That term was used of, of, only of kings in the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, but we are all are called to be kings and queens because we're supposed to rule. Rule in a loving way. We rule the earth and the animal kingdom. We care for them. We take responsibility for them. They've been entrusted to us. Our job is to make sure that the earth and the animal kingdom are flourishing. It's our responsibility. And we saw last week that God loves the earth, which the Bible depicts as his personal property. He loves this earth, and he loves the animal kingdom. Uh, Of course he does, because he's a God of love, and everything he does is out of love, so he creates these out of love. He loves the earth and the animal kingdom. And so when God entrusts us to take care of his property and to take care of his pets, that's a huge deal. That's a huge responsibility. You've got to take that very, very seriously. Everything that we see in this world, look around it, not in this room, but go outside in the sky and the, the, the oceans and, and the birds and the crawly things. All of it is our 
responsibility. God entrusts us with this. So, as I mentioned last week, when we talk about the importance, the urgency of our taking responsibility for the earth and the animal kingdom, uh, this isn't some liberal thing. It's not a Democrat thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Green Party thing. It's not, it's not a New Age thing. It's not a Jane Fonda, hug the tree, hippie kind of thing. No, it, it's a God thing, right? It, it, it's a divine mandate from God. And the reason it has to be a high priority for us is because it's such a high priority for God. And we're called to sacrifice for the earth and the animal kingdom because God was willing to sacrifice for the earth and the animal kingdom. We have to always remember that Jesus didn't just die for human beings. We can be so anthropocentric in our theology sometimes. No, he died to redeem the whole creation. You read in Colossians, Paul says that by means of the cross, the love of God that's revealed on the cross, God is reconciling everything in heaven and everything on earth and bringing shalom to everything in heaven and everything on earth. Jesus died for the whole creation. And so just as we partner with God to love every person that we come in contact with, to agree with God that every person we see has unsurpassable worth, to show love towards every person we come in contact with, so also we are called to partner with God to show the worth of his creation. And we show the worth of his creation by what we're willing to sacrifice for it. I, I've believed this for a long time, but I've never seen it as clearly as I see it now, and I certainly have never felt it as passionately as I do now. It's like, whoa! Uh, this is huge! And yet, there's probably no area of, uh, in, in, in the Western church that has been more negligent than this. Ignoring this call to care for and love the earth and the animal kingdom. It, it, it now strikes me as obvious. Love is always about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. That's what the cross teaches us. And so, if we love the earth and the animal kingdom, that means we ascribe worth to it at cost to ourselves. So at the very least, as I mentioned last week, this is really the point of this message too. I, I just feel this so urgently. We at least have to be willing to be inconvenienced. If it will benefit the environment, if it will benefit the ground, if it will benefit an animal, we have to be willing to consider that. Sadly, in our culture, we are all addicted to convenience. Structured around our convenience. The question I, I ended with, 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 with challenging us to live in this question. And that is, just put this on and just make this your kind of heuristic that you live with. How can you and how can those that you share life with sacrifice some of your conveniences for the benefit of the earth and the animal kingdom? Because that's what it means to love the earth and the animal kingdom. That's just what it means. A love that does not sacrifice at all is not a love. It's just a word. We're called a love, the earth and the animal kingdom. That's a really big deal to God. And he entrusted us with the whole thing. I would like us as a congregation, whether you're local or non-local, if you're a part of Woodland Hills, and if you're just visiting, listen in on this, you can join this too. For us to be taking this journey together, Start living in this question. And, 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 and we'll be looking at other ways that we can keep this on a front burner and, and, and maybe have discussion groups and, and to be exploring this question. Start with the baby steps. Start small. Start to think little. But just ask the question. What can I sacrifice to show the worth of the earth and the animal kingdom? 
How can we begin to learn how to love the world and the animals the way God loves the world and the animals? It comes down to that. Uh, by the way, a really good message on, on kind of learning how to love creation I was given by our own Dan Kent last year. Uh, it's called Take a Walk on the Wild Side. And so I encourage you, if you haven't heard that message, to, uh, to uh, listen to it. I've certainly found this to be true. I, since I have for the last year been taking these walks out in, out in the woods with my dog, I go at least twice a week out to some hiking trail or whatever. I just have found it. I, I, I can get in touch with God in a way that I... It's a unique way. I, 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 it's different than imaginative prayer or any other kind of spiritual exercise I do. It's just being out there. We need to learn how to love the earth and the animal kingdom. So now what I want us to see is, is that this isn't just a divine mandate, like an arbitrary rule. Rather, the reason we have the mandate is because there's a reality. Remember, laws are always in service to reality. Um, and, 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 and the reality is this. We are... From a biblical perspective, really intimately connected to the earth and the animal kingdom, such that their well-being and our well-being are wrapped up with one another. So when God gives this divine mandate, take care of the earth and the animal kingdom, it's a way of him saying, take care of yourself. Because when we don't take care of the earth and the animal kingdom, we see here, it damages us. The well-being of us and the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom are intimately wrapped up with one another. Um, and that holds true for better or for worse. So when human beings are being who God created us to be, when we're loving God and loving ourselves and loving our neighbor as ourselves and we're loving and caring for the earth and the animal kingdom, when that's happening, to the degree that that's happening, we flourish and the earth and the animal, animal kingdom flourish. But when we're not rightly related with God, when we're not loving God, loving ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves and caring about the earth and the animal kingdom, when that happens to that degree, well, we and the earth and the animal kingdom will suffer. It's built into the nature of things. And you see this throughout the whole Bible. Now, I, I had to work so hard to get this down to our time limit here. Um, I had to cut out so much. But um, uh, I, a really good book on this, by the way, I'll just mention it here, is if you, if you want to go deeper in this organic connectedness, uh, an acquaintance of mine, Terrence Fretheim, uh, is, uh, he wrote a book called Creation Untamed. It's a short little book, but man, it's packed with a lot of wisdom. So you might want to check that out. A uh, lot of what I learned about this, most of what I learned about this, I learned from him. And so um, uh, you, you can check it out there. But I'll, I'll just give a few examples of this. The first one, and I'm not, we don't have time to even turn to the passage here. I'll just kind of tell you about it. But we first see this organic connectedness with the story of the fall in the Bible. When Adam and Eve uh, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When the Lord shows up, well, what we find there is that because of their sin, there's a curse that comes on the earth. Our sin damages the environment, even if we don't directly do anything to the environment. There's an organic connectedness there. And because of this fall, the Lord says, the, the ground's not going to be as cooperative as it used to be. You're going to have to toil to get your food, and, and there's going to be thistles and thorns and other things that can harm you. It, it fundamentally changed nature when there was this human rebellion because we're connected together. When our well-being goes down, the well-being of everything else goes down as well. I'll, I'll, I'll look more in depth on this in, in, with two illustrations. The first one comes from Jeremiah. And here's what Jeremiah says. He's here uh, looking at this land that has, uh, and this city that has just come under divine judgment. 
Divine judgment, remember, is when God says he sees he's got no choice but to let people go down the self-destructive path that they have chosen. Judgment isn't something he has to impose on people or a sense he has to impose on people. Rather, it's all organic. It's, it's in the nature of things that sin is inherently self-destructive. The seeds of, of, of judgment are in the sin itself. And so God let these people go, and here's, here's the result of it. <clears throat> Jeremiah says, I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. And to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking. And all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the, the fruitful land had turned into a desert, and all of its cities were laid ruin, ruined before the Lord. Now, it, it, Jeremiah here talks in cosmic terms uh, about the whole world and whatever, even though he's only talking about a particular geographical location. And we, we, we've already seen that that is a pattern you find in the Bible, that often they'll speak about local things as though they were cosmic, because uh, it's a way of saying the world as you know it is coming to an end. And that becomes especially prevalent in the apocalyptic period in which the New Testament is born. And that's why Jesus and New Testament authors could talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, uh, as, as though it was the end of the world. Uh, as though the whole world were involved in this. But he is saying something here about in this area, Devastation has happened. And he uses this phrase. And the phrase is, is, it was waste and void. It, it, it turned, it, it is abyss. And that's the same term. The, the Hebrew is tohu wabohu. Tohu wabohu. And it's the same term that's used to describe the earth in its pre-creational state. In the second verse of the Bible, in fact, it says this. Uh, and now the earth was formless and empty. Tohu wabohu. It's the same phrase there. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there's this chaotic thing, this tohu wabohu. And then God creates the world by imposing order on it, putting boundaries on things, separating the land from the, from the, the waters and, and the sky from the ground and light from darkness. He imposes these boundaries, and that's how he creates this present world order. What Jeremiah is saying here is that when judgment comes... The created order in this area here is reversed. It, it, it goes to its pre-creational state. The boundaries that kept things in place. The structure of the world was overturned. But it wasn't God who overturned the structures of the world. And it wasn't God who was, who was about the undoing of creation. No, it was human sin that did this. It was our rebellion against God that shook the hills and the mountains. It overturned the boundaries that kept chaos at bay. It was, it was our hatred for one another, and it was our greed, and it was our immorality, and it was our apathy towards the poor and the, the outsider and the, the immigrant, and our apathy towards the earth and the animal kingdom, and our acceptance of injustice, and all the other things that Scripture mentions that bring about the judgment of God. That is what did, undid creation. There's an organic connection between human beings and the created order. And when we fall, it begins to fall. And we invite chaos into our lives and chaos into the environment by our rebellion, by our sin. As humans go, so the earth goes. This is how we bring judgment on ourselves. And we see in the Bible that God's judgment is always a form of self-punishment. We bring it on ourselves, but it's also a judgment of God because God is the one who set up the order of, of things. And God's the one who gave us the free will to go down this route if that's the way we want to choose. The point being this. When human beings are not rightly related with God or ourselves or one another 
or the earth and the animal kingdom. Which is to say, when we're not loving God, ourselves, one another, and the earth and the animal kingdom, because that's the only right relationship, is one of love. And someday, love will be the only thing that remains. But to the, to the degree that we don't do that, when we're not rightly related, well, we suffer, and the earth and the animal kingdom suffer. In fact, we suffer because the earth and the animal kingdom suffer. Very frequently, the chaos that is brought about by a rebellion is the judgment for our rebellion. Okay, so the so, uh, second illustration I want to use is the flood story in the Bible. Um, Genesis 6. Uh, I'll say as a kind of a preliminary word that there's a legitimate debate about whether this was a literal global flood or whether it was a local flood. Um, and go back and forth on that, it's fine. From my perspective, it's not a big deal because we just saw how it's possible. Biblical authors frequently speak about local things as though they were cosmic. In this case, I think the author does it for a theological reason, but I don't have any horses in that race. What I know is that when I approach the Bible as God's word, I, I'm not there trying to decide how it relates to history. I'm rather just trying to see how this inspired story, what it has to teach us uh, about the nature of, of, of divine judgments. And I think it has to teach us a lot. I'm just going to read three verses here, but they're very important three verses. Genesis 6, verses 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt. And that word is sachat. One of the things I love about Hebrew is they get to use those gutturals, sachat. Everyone say sachat. Yeah, someone probably just got some spit on the back of their neck. Sachat. Yeah, sachat. Okay, and it means to corrupt. So look at this. Now the earth was corrupt, sachat, in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. That's what it means to be corrupt. The opposite of love. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, sachat, for all flesh had corrupted, sachat, its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy, sachat, them along with the earth. Notice this. Put your thinking caps on because this is going to get a little grammatical. But sachat, that root word there, he has various forms, but the root there is used to, on the one hand, describe human corruption. We are sachat. It's also used to describe how we corrupt the earth because of our corruption, sachat. And then it's used to describe the judgment that comes on us because we have corrupted the earth. Uh, the word destroy there is another form of sachat. So we bring destruction on ourselves. We are we have sachat in our hearts. We're not living right with God, with ourselves, with one another, or the earth and the animal kingdom. And that results in sachat on the earth. And in the end, that's going to come back and bite us. That's what happens in the flood. They're, they're punished by the creation that they were commissioned to take care of. Now, this author, of course, attributes this directly to God. God was the one who was going to bring, bring the flood. Um, but God only brought the flood in the sense that God, there came a point where God said, I've got to let you go down this course. This is the path you've chosen. In fact, in verse 3 of Genesis 6, uh, we find the Lord telling uh, Noah, my spirit's not always going to contend with these human beings. I've been trying, you know, God's been trying to keep human beings from going down this path. But God sees, when God sees that, that, that is, there's no hope of that working, when the hearts have gotten too hard, God has no choice but to let us go. And then we bring destruction on ourselves. So even though this author attributes this all to uh, God, as any ancient Near Eastern person would, ascribing violence to God was a, considered the highest form of worship. 
But even though he does that, when you actually read the narrative, it's human beings who bring this on ourselves. Our sachat brought sachat to the earth, which ends up bringing ultimate sachat to us. God lets sachat run its course. And like all divine judgments, see, this flood story is a, a kind of a peekaboo window into the final judgment. All of God's judgments throughout history are, are, are preliminary and sort of anticipation, anticipations of this final judgment. And we find that in the final judgment, it will also involve human beings, once again, bringing destruction upon themselves. We read this verse last week, Revelation 11. It says, The nations raged, but your wrath has come. One of the ways that you know that God's wrath has come is because the nations are raging. For the time for judging the dead and for destroying those who destroy the earth has come. For destroying those who destroy the earth. And as I mentioned last week, you find this pattern throughout the whole book of Revelation. The connotation of this passage is that we are destroyed by our own destroying of the earth. And how could it not? Because we ourselves are part of the earth. We are dust. So in destroying the earth, we end up destroying ourselves. And that's very much a fundamental pattern of all divine judgments. It's punishment we bring on ourselves. It's hardwired into the creation. This law here that when we're right with God, ourselves, one another, and the earthly animal kingdom, everything flourishes. But when we're not right with God and ourselves and everyone else, and when we're not treating the earth and the animal kingdom well, well, then, then think, things don't flourish. Things die. This divine mandate, I hope we can all see, was given for our benefit. It's, it's in our interest to take great care of the earth and the animal kingdom. Because our well-being is wrapped up with its well-being. So, our job is to care for the earth and the animal kingdom. First mandate, first thing God says to us. How are we doing on that? How are we doing? Now, in two weeks, we're going to give a report card on kind of the state of the planet Earth. We'll be uh, interviewing our own environmental scientists here. George, George, wave your hand so everyone can see how good looking you are. Okay, I lied about the good looking part. But... Um, no, he's a science, and he'll give us the science behind this. But just right now, I don't know if you guys follow the weather at all, but it's been really interesting lately. I mean, bizarre. This last week, this is just from one week. Did you know that Pakistan is one-third underwater? They've had, and you hear these words all the time now, unprecedented, historic, record-breaking, once-in-a-thousand-year event. Once in 10,000 year event. Never happened before kind of event. And, 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 and so here they're having this incredible, they've just been flooded. Monsoons and melting uh, glaciers. And it's, it's one third flooded and it's just completely screwed the economy. I mean, uh, over a thousand people have died and they're, they're sure it's going to go way higher than that. Um, but uh, it's ruined the crop for two years. It's affected 33 million people. About a million people have, 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 have lost their homes, and now that's going to cause a refugee crisis. And I fear we're going to be seeing more and more of that as we go into the future. China, two of its largest freshwater lakes are almost completely dried up. The Poyang Lake and, and the, the, I think it's pronounced Yatsi or Yazi Lake, they're, they're almost completely dried up. So in parts of China, they're having to ration water now. Other parts of China are being under this deluge, this monsoon that will not let up. And they just, they've had, they had to uh, uh, relocate 45,000 people from this one village because it was just completely swept away. Crazy stuff. 
that no one had ever seen like that before. Yeah, the UK and the India and Africa and, and the southwest part of the United States are experiencing an unprecedented drought. And with that comes the water shortage. And our lakes are drying up. The, 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 Mead, the Mead Lake and the Colorado River that uh, feeds into it, uh, it it's, it's down to about 25, 26%. Uh, historic lows, and, and this is happening around the globe. You've seen these lakes and these rivers when they dry up, they uncover certain things. I don't know if you've been following this, but you know, ancient artifacts, and, and they, this one lake got, uh, got so low, it uncovered all these boats that had been sunk during World War II, and, and it's, they have these crying stones. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's, in, in, in Germany, um, this one river got, it's at a historic low, and they've uncovered these spots where people, it had gotten this low in 16, uh, 1600s, I think it was 1616 or so, this terrible famine that they had, and, and they'd written on these stones, if you can read this, weep. Because usually these things are like under, you know, a couple feet of water, now they're being exposed, and what the person's saying, if you can read this, you're in the middle of a very serious drought, and it's, 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 it's fatal. It's just crazy stuff like that. Fires going on all over the place. All over the place. France, Spain, California. Floods going on all over the place. Kentucky, completely deluged. We saw a couple months ago, Yellowstone Park getting wiped out from an unprecedented flood. Crazy stuff. And on top of all that, we have this great dying that's going on. I don't know if you've heard this, but we are losing 150 to 200 species of animal every day. Every day. Now, most of that are insects and the birds that feed off of them. But it's starting to happen elsewhere. How are we doing? This has been building for at least 40 years, building up. But what we're seeing now is it's, it's intensifying. It's happening quicker and quicker. And the... Weather extremes are getting more and more ferocious and doing more and more damage. And as I mentioned several weeks ago, 97% of all climatologists agree that this pattern of getting worse and worse, faster and faster, is going to go continue into the indefinite future. And the scary part is that we don't know when the terminus point of this is, how high it can go. How are we doing? And the, the, the speed that with which things are, are picking up is just alarming everybody. You know, the, the science on this has been consistently wrong by underestimating how fast it's going to happen. The International Panel, Panel on Climate Control, uh, 20 years ago, they, they said the goal is to keep uh, the, the, our temperature uh, beneath 1.5 degrees. And, and George will explain next week or two weeks from now why that is such an important number, 1.5. Um, and they thought at, at our current pace, we'll hit there in 2100. So we have to limit this before 2100. Then about 10 years ago, they revised that and said that we'll hit 1.5 in 2050. They just recently came out with another report which says we'll hit 1.5 possibly by 2030. In fact, there's some scientists who say it could be as early as 2027. This crucial point. It just keeps faster. It's blowing them away how fast this is going. In fact, this global warming thing it's not just, it, we think about it as a future thing. I, I, up until about three, four months ago, I always thought, okay, well, we'll, we'll have to figure this out by 2100 or something. I, I, I suspect most of us felt like it's a future thing. But it's not a future thing. It is here. It is now. Millions of people are already being adversely affected by this, killed by this. And millions of animals are being destroyed by this. It's happening now. In fact, like always happens with catastrophes and 
Well, it's exposing the gross, grotesque injustices of human society. Because it's primarily poor countries that are, are suffering the worst effects from climate change. I don't mean to downplay the, uh, the forest fires that burned these you know, wealthy people's homes and stuff. I, that's tragic. But the brunt of it, most of it is being uh, uh, absorbed by people in poor countries. Almost all of them non-white. And uh, uh, the sad, ironic, sick truth is that these are the countries that contribute the least to the global warming. Pakistan, 0.5%, less than 1% of the global pollution is caused by them. Half of 1%. Uh, same thing with Africa and so on. And yet, so they're, they're contributing the least to the problem, but are experiencing the most severe effects of the problem. This is, disasters always expose the injustices of society. And the wealthy countries... Uh, that are able to have the most resources to protect against this, they experience it the least, even though they contribute the most. In 2009, um, oh, the, the, the conference, the developed countries uh, came on this, this agreement, realizing this disparity that we are bringing the most greenhouse gas stuff and trapping the heat. Since we're, since we're causing the problem the most, and these people are suffering the most, they pledged to support these developing countries, provide relief for them, uh, to the tune of $200 billion a year. They made that promise in 2009, and it was supposed to kick in in 2020. We always make these promises that are about 10 years from now. 2020 came and went, and guess what? No money. 2021, then 2022, not a dime. In fact, and I'm sorry if I'm getting a little angry as I'm talking right now, but it's just so grotesque. In this conference in Bonn, Germany, um, just recently, they, it, was a, it was on climate control. And, and uh, someone proposed for next year, because they have this annually, next year, can we at least talk about that $200 billion that we'd promised these countries? And they voted against it. They won't even talk about it. The injustice is astounding. So how, folks, as people of God, uh, how do we interpret this chaos, this crescendoing chaos? Uh, what do we make out of this? From a biblical perspective, I hope we can now see that this is on us. We were the ones who were put in charge of this. Our well-being is wrapped up with the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom and vice versa. And so if we look around and, and, and we see that creation's not flourishing, our job is to see that it flourishes. But if it's not flourishing, if it's sick, it's because we're not flourishing and we're sick. It's on us. And it's not just about how much CO2 we're pumping in the atmosphere. People can debate about how much, you know, that is, 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 is accelerating this. Most scientists say that it's, it's contributing to it, if not driving it. But even apart from that, it's our whole well-being that affects the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom, for better or for worse. So when we shirk our responsibilities in loving God, loving ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and of course, loving the earth and the animal kingdom, that's what brings about shachat on our planet and in our society. And I hope you can begin to see this connection, that shachat, this corruption, this violence, destruction, animosity. That because our well-being is wrapped up with the well-being of the earth, 
We have to be a people who can see the connection between the chaos that's happening on the planet and the chaos that's happening in society. There's a correlation there. Everything's heating up because we're part of everything. Human society's heating up because we're part of the earth that's heating up. It's all heating up. Now, it's not all on us. There's other variables that affect us, of course. We know that the earth has at different times going through a heating and cooling cycle. It seems to be part of the natural order of things. Uh, that's true, although it's never gone through anything like at this rate of speed. This is unprecedented. But, but certainly that can contribute to this. Maybe our role here is that we're accelerating this. Uh, it would have been just a normal rising and falling of temperatures, but because of human sin, it's, it's exacerbating that. And then there's a whole dimension of reality that we know very little about, which has to do with the principalities and powers. And who knows what's going on there that could be affecting this. So it's not all on us. But to the degree that it is our sin and our apathy that is causing the shachat in this world, to that degree we are responsible. And the Bible says it's under our charge. Our job is to see that it's flourishing and it's not. So, insofar as God created this world and God empowered us, gave us the free will to go this way or that way, to care about things or not to care about things, and God lets us go down this route if that's the way we choose, insofar as that's the case, I submit to you that what we're going through right now could be considered a judgment of God. It's not that God is up there, get rid of all those ideas about God pressing the disaster button or God throwing the, sending Pakistan the floods or, or anything like that. No, that's not at all the case. Rather, all this was under our charge and our responsibility and we're bringing this on ourselves. And God, who set up the moral order of the universe, well, it's a judgment of God because it's wired into the nature of things that when we get hardened towards God ourselves, one another in the earthly animal kingdom, well, it's, it's a judgment of God. We end up suffering because of it. Now, is it the final judgment? Could this be the final judgment? My answer is, I don't know. Of course, who could know? Though, it, as I mentioned several weeks ago, we are taught in the New Testament to expect it to happen in our lifetime. And Jesus says, be looking for it. Keep your eyes open. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. When you see things starting to come to life, uh, that means that you're, you're, you're heading towards summer. And when you see things starting to die, that means you're heading towards winter. As I look around here, I, I see a lot of things dying. 150 to 200 species a day, in fact. Um, where are we headed with this? Is it the final judgment? I don't know. But we will find out. If it's the final judgment, if this is it, if, if God is really planning on wrapping up this whole epoch that we're a part of here and bringing in the new heavens and the new earth and starting the eternal program, if that's what's going to go on, well, this judgment will be just. In fact, that's why we need a final judgment. Because uh, the world is so unjust most of the time. And, and if there was no final judgment, then injustice would have the last word. If there's no final judgment, then really there's no morality. There's no consequences for anything. Uh, ultimately, there's no good or evil. There has to be a final reckoning, and that's how the Bible speaks about it. It's a final reckoning where everybody reaps what they sow. We're not going to have any more of this disparity between the wealthy and the poor. No, everybody reaps what they sow. That's the final judgment. We'll find out. We'll find out because in the final judgment, everything about humanity and everything about earth and the animal kingdom that is not in line with God's will will be done away with. If ultimately, everything that's not consistent with love will be burned up. Because when God's eternal kingdom is established, only love remains. Love, as I've said before, is the only thing we take with us. 
our love for God, ourselves, each other, and our love for the earthly animal kingdom. It's the only thing that's eternal. And we get eternalized by investing ourselves in that. And the final judgment is just a time of pruning when everything that's not that gets stripped away. I don't know. But what I do, I don't know if it's the final judgment or if it's just a judgment. But what I do know is this. In the Bible, when prophets announced that a judgment was coming, they always did it not as a fatalistic thing, like you're doomed, but they did it as a warning. And the purpose of announcing that judgment was coming was to, to have people repent. In Jeremiah 18, it says that, the Lord says that, if at any time I announce that a judgment is coming on a nation, if that nation will repent, turn from its wicked ways, then I will change my mind about the judgment. God only lets people go because he sees that their hearts are, are getting too hard. But if you'll soften your heart, turn around, well, maybe it can be averted. The proper response to an impending judgment is repentance. Here's a, here's a place where I think science and the Bible come into a perfect alignment with one another. Uh, if you read the IPCC report, um, the most recent one anyways, it, it, it says things like this. We must immediately, and I keep using that word, immediately, right now, we must immediately turn from our reliance on fossil fuels and we must immediately turn from, and, and the, you know, the, the, the thing that has gotten into all this trouble, we've got to turn from that. And that's what the word repentance means, to turn. And so this, this, this uh, report was kind of a way of just saying repent or perish, the whole thing, repent or perish. We are headed in the wrong direction. We are heading towards self-destruction if we don't change things now. Repent or perish. And I don't, I don't have a lot of optimism that humanity as a whole is going to do this, but I do know that as God's people, we must do this. We need to repent. This is one of my heavier messages, by the way, in case you hadn't noticed. But, you know, the thing is, folks, uh, my job, I, I, and I just feel this responsibility so, so keenly. It's not to entertain, not to be funny, not to be popular. Not to, it's simply to speak the truth as best as I can discern it, as best as I can say it. And this is just the truth. We need to repent. Because we are complicit we're complicit. We didn't know. We probably didn't know it. We were raised, you know, in this culture that we have here. But our whole world is just structured for our convenience. And so much of that convenience is not helpful to the earth and the animal kingdom. And so as a people who understand that our call is to care for the earth and the animal kingdom, first thing out of God's mouth, first mandate, as, as, as people who understand that, we've got to wake up to this world of convenience that we have here and begin to ask the question, what inconvenience can I embrace to reflect God's love towards the earth and the animal kingdom? And I want us to live in this question, folks. It's a, I have almost a sense of frustration as I'm talking because my words just aren't doing it. This is so huge. It's so important. And we've so missed it. So can we embark on this journey together? And, and the, the, the sense I have, is it, it's supposed to be something, to, a togetherness on this, not just Lone Ranger stuff. Now, we're not going to have a bunch of rules. Amen. Amen. Learn to love together. Let's include the creation in that. Learn to love together. 
And, 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 and it's, a, it's a process, okay? We're all in process, and we're all at different spots, and no one's got any business judging one another about who's doing what, whatever. This is something that you and your loved ones and those you share life with, you just have to seriously ask. And start small. Start with a baby step. You know, if you're going to run a marathon, you got to take that first step. And, and, and just start asking, do I, is there an alternative thing that I could get that wouldn't have to be this damaging to the environment? Is there something I can do to give up that be less harmful to the air, to the earth, to, to animals. And you look at your lifestyle and you look at all of the choices of your life. You look at your eating habits and all the rest. And, um, uh, and, and just ask that question. Shelly and I have been living in this question for about eight months now. And it's mainly thanks to my wife. She just got the bug about this and started to run with it. And, and uh, I was kind of following her along. But uh, it, it's, been, it's been exciting because you learn so much. It's it, new stuff. And, and she'll always come back and it's like, guess what I'm going to learn today? We got to give up toothpaste. <laughs> guess what I got today? We don't need that deodorant. <laughs> Apparently we don't need to smell good either. But uh, no, there's alternatives that aren't plastic and that, that don't pollute. And so it's just a journey that we've been on. It's, it's challenging. It's been challenging for sure. Um, and and, and uh, up front, it's not... In the long run, I think it, it saves money, but up front it doesn't. It's, it, it's more expensive. Part of the convenience of plastics and all this stuff is that it's cheap. Um, and, and so it, that's another thing you have to factor in. You know, what, what can your budget afford and all that? We have to give grace to one another, but we also have to take this ourselves very, very seriously. We also have found that it's, it really feels good. I, I just feel like that. To like, know that... I'm, showing, I'm sharing in God's love for the earth and the animal kingdom by giving this up and giving that up and being willing to travel a little farther to get this item and whatever. It just feels good to be doing what we can. And we're still in process in this, and we still are imperfect. And, you know, you have to accommodate for different things. But the important thing is to be on the journey. Can we be on the journey together? And, and, and just learning uh, what it would look like for us to be a community that cares deeply about the earth and the animal kingdom. Uh, we don't want to be on the side of those who destroy the earth. No, we want to be on the side of those who love the earth and care for the earth. And, and our job is to, as we turn from this convenience thing, our motivation isn't because we're trying to save our necks, repent or perish kind of thing. We turn because we were always supposed to be loving the earth and the animal kingdom in this way. This is what we're here for. This is our duty. So whether it's flourishing or not, our job is to be loving God, ourselves, one another, and the earth and the animal kingdom and taking care of them. And so even if this turns around tomorrow and somehow the world just starts cooling and correcting itself, wonderful, hallelujah, but I'm going to have the same message. Because if we don't start taking seriously the fact that our well-being is wrapped up with the well-being of the earth and animal kingdom, it will just come around again. Can we repent? So what I'd like to do right now, and just end this way, well, first I want to, I, I, I'll give a couple of tips and then we're going to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. A little tip is this. you can start just by Googling um, low-waste living. That's how Shelly started, my wife. Low-waste living. Uh, how do you reduce the amount of waste you have? I've just been amazed. We used to have this giant waste container, just like huge, and, and it's almost always pretty much full. Now we've got a little tiny container, and it, it's rarely half full. It, it's amazing the amount of waste you can cut out. It feels good. It's cathartic. It feels good because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> And it always feels good to do the right thing. So Google low waste living. Um, I'll just put this on your radar screen. Dan and Barbara Kent uh, will be teaching a class on creation care uh, in September. So keep your eyes open for that. Uh, it's a good resource to use. But now I'd like to end with this a, 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 a 
communal uh, prayer of repentance. Um, and so if you're willing to at least ask this question, I'm not saying any particular thing about what you're supposed to give up or not, but if you're willing to make this commitment to turn, just to stop letting convenience being Lord of your life, make the earth and the animal kingdom a higher priority than your, than your convenience, as much as, as, as possible. And if you're willing to make that commitment, I want you to pray this prayer. That'll lead us in. And folks that are online, verbalize it, okay? There's something about verbalizing this. Even if there's no one in the house with you, verbalize it. This, it that brings a reality to our commitments that otherwise isn't there. So if you're able, would you just stand? And this is one of these kind of prayers where I just would like you to repeat after me. Abba, Father. Now you say, uh, we thank you and we praise you for creating this awesome world and for filling it with such a wonderful diversity of animals. As your people, we acknowledge that you have commissioned us to love and care for this awesome world and these wonderful animals. But we confess that we have often made our own convenience a higher priority than the well-being of your property and of your pets. But we here today turn from our addiction to convenience. We renounce convenience as Lord of our life. And we commit to learning how to better love and to better care for your creation. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, teach us, remind us, empower us, and convict us as we embark on this journey of becoming trustworthy caregivers to your beloved property and all your beloved pets. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's embark on this journey together, all right? Hallelujah, amen. Uh, yes, let's do it, let's do it. I'm excited about it. Uh, if you're here and you need any kind of prayer or if you're not here and need any kind of prayer, we got prayer available, please take advantage of that, our prayer. Folks would just love to uh, minister to you. Uh, if you're going to be here next week and you're going to have kids with you, please let us know uh, so we can have enough folks back there. Speaking of which, we need more folks back there. So if you're open to uh, volunteering in our children's area, please uh, let us know about that. And uh, what else, Mary? Uh, we've got the MuseCast on Tuesdays, and we have gathering groups, and really encourage you to, if possible, check those things out. Um, get to meet some other folks. You can talk about the message, go deeper with it, and all sorts of things like that. God bless you guys. I love you. And let's just love on the earth and the animal kingdom. Gaps. This is the S part. Go out and do gaps. <laughs>